there's so many things that you want to do. So many people you want to reach out to that you're like, oh, I want to see how things are going with them. You don't have the time to do that because all of the other things, the things that could be pushed over to automation are taking up that, that time, that space. Listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journeys series, where James Robert uncovers and explores some of the industry's biggest digital marketing and sales stories of success. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 129th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journey series, and I'm excited to welcome Tiffany Davis to the show. Tiffany is a Vice President and Manager of Client Experience at Centier Bank, a community bank founded in 1895, 1895, that has grown to become Indiana's largest private family-owned and operated bank. Now, full disclosure... I am proud, I am proud of all the work, all of the progress that Tiffany and her team have made along their own digital growth journey over the past 12 months since Tiffany and I first connected. She actually reached out to me on LinkedIn. She sent me a direct message, literally almost one year ago to the exact date that we are recording this episode, which was in fact not planned by the way, but I do look forward to sharing Tiffany's story with you today, the dear listener, to continue to elevate, to continue to empower, to continue to inspire you as you continue to move forward and make progress along your own digital growth journey. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. It is so good to have you on today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, James Robert. Before we get into our conversation and, and really just the journey that you've been on, I want to get some perspective from a positive point of view, and by now you probably knew this question was coming. What what's one good thing that's that's been happening for you personally or professionally? Where where, where are you feeling positive right now? Your pick. I'm um, sure I'll go I'll go personally. So I just had a birthday less than a month ago, and I'm just really enjoying being in my 40s. I'll say that right because there's a, everyone talks about the decades. Yes. And things that happen. And there's something about just the confidence and knowing who you are in your 40s and where you're. So I'm just embracing that at this season. 100% because I just turned 40 as we were talking before we hit record. And it was one of those things, I think in my 20s, I'm like, ew, 40. Like, ew. And Absolutely. now I, I told my wife, I said, I, I am more excited now about the next 83 years because – 123 is my number like you know what and it's beyond my control but I did an exercise and you know what this is this is a fantastic exercise that I don't think we've ever talked about on on this on on this podcast so here's the exercise I learned this from Dan Sullivan when do you think you're gonna die I mean I can't even get past the fact that you said 123 is that the age that you want to live to absolutely it is oh my gosh no I don't I have not maybe 80s 90s if i'm in really good health right uh, correct and so that's yeah. the thing so let's just say your initial number is 80 okay yeah. 
which is about I think what mine was I when when I did this exercise so you get asked the question when do you think you're gonna die and you write a number down 75 80 85 whatever okay with all of the advances in healthcare, what if you could get extra time what would that number be and to live in full health and mentally physically spiritually with all the advances what would that number be i mean i would say the sky's the limit because if you have all of those pieces you wouldn't put an end on it Uh that end for me at 80 is because i don't want to be someone else's burden i don't want to be a problem to someone but if i can still do all the things then i wouldn't i would put no cap on that on that at all Absolutely. And I think that's the that's the that's the secret of this exercise right here is whatever that second number is, because then the question is, okay, so 80 and let's just take my 123. And the reason I picked 123 is it's a number that I always see on clock. So it was like when I asked the question, that was the first thing that popped in my head. And that's you have to write that down. So it's like 123, 123 minus 80. That's an extra 43 years. Then the follow up to that is if you got extra 43 healthy, happy, productive years, what would you do with your time? And then you write all that down. So because then the follow up to that is why are you waiting? And that really spurred so much action for me. I did this actually like four or five years ago. It spurred so much action for me because I'm like, if I get an extra 43 years, that's that's almost how, how old I was at the time when I did this exercise. I was, a little bit, I was in my late 30s, so probably like 36 at the time. And I'm like, why am I waiting? What's holding me back? I am holding me back when when doing that. So it's a really, it was a very powerful transformative. And I've done this with other people before. And you start to open up new, just new perspectives and, and new ways of thinking. So I want to I stay on this theme with time here. Because the year, and, and we were talking about this before we hit record, it was 1998. I'm going to take you back to 1998. Do you remember what the number one movie was in 1998? Oh, God. Are you kidding um, 19, so I have, we always have to go into perspective, right? So 1998, I would have been 18. I would have just started in banking in 1998. That's right. That was that's year I'm, one I'm, as a part-time teller. That's why I'm taking you back there because in yeah, 1998. So I would, I would say it had to be probably something like with Will Smith, if we're thinking like summer, summer bash or something like that. So you're close. So the number one movie in 1998 was Titanic. Uh. My heart will go on. And your your reference to Will Smith, it was actually getting jiggy with it. That was the number one top 100 Billboard hits in 1998. So I hated that song in 98, but I actually love it now, which is really funny. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, I mean, you're you're so close. And and that's why I wanted to take you back. How? Because that was your first year in banking. How'd you get into banking? And, and, And what's been the... The, the personal purpose that has been driving you now for over 20 years, because that's, I mean, you've, 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 you've kept a really focused, dedicated path, but I want to take you back to 98, first time in banking, getting to banking. What, what was the impetus for that? And what's been the driving purpose over the past 20 years? Interestingly enough, and I, I feel like a lot of people that are in banking say this, is that it was never, so <laughs> I was at home. I had just gotten home for the summer and I had gone through for my first year in, in college and my major was nursing. My grandmother claimed nurses will always have jobs. 
this is the thing that's guaranteed. So I was like, okay, sounds great. And then I hated it. I hated biology. I hated human anatomy and physiology. I hated all of it. And so I had come home and I needed a job for the summer and my mom circled an ad in the paper and kids are like, what paper was, and it was for a part-time teller at a branch that was near my house. And that wow. I, I went and went to the interview and, and got it. And I was petrified. I'll be honest, that amount of money nowadays, we don't touch as much money as we touched back then. Um, and it was a lot of money. I was nervous every day going to work and, but there was a greater purpose. I got to help people, you know, and, and that I think has always been what drives me is that we, we grew up, you know, um, poor and not having things. And so being able to see how money worked and how you could budget and do things and, and grow your money. I think that was what I wanted to share with other people. Yes. And so that that's kind of what I think has kept me, kept me in it all this time. It's so funny. You talk about your nervous handling all of that money. So it was around the same time period. And it's interesting when I've, we start having these conversations and we go back and we look at the past and you start making all of these different connections and dots. So it was probably around the same time. It was, it was 98. My mom circled something in the newspaper for me. I was 16, 17 at the time. And it was a job fair at the JSC Space Center. So it was the tourist arm of the of, of NASA. And so I went to this job fair and I got two interviews and two offers on the spot. One was for the gift store and one was for actually going to work in Space Center. And they wanted me to go in and take pictures of people on a green screen and put them on the moon. I'm like, this is fantastic. This is going to be amazing. So I went through two weeks of training, was so excited. I even got my little NASA jumpsuit. And first day, I go out on the floor. They said, James Robert, you're working the register today. And I, no, I'm not. You didn't train me for this. And it's so funny, like this idea of fear and subconscious mind, because all I could think about was, number one, I've never really handled any money. You didn't train me for this. Number two, all I remembered in from the training about the register was if you're 10 cents off in your till balancing three times, you're fired. And that 10 cents. And that put so much fear in me that I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not doing this. And then so I literally quit two weeks in first day on the job. I quit because it was so much fear around money, right? And I think a lot of that was just personally how I was raised. But then I went and got a job that same summer, almost like the next day, I called up my friend, his, his mom worked at um, San Jack College, and I got hired to join the maintenance team. And that was one of the best summers I ever had. I learned so much, and we jammed a lot of Will Smith on the radio. So. <laughs> It's wow. interesting. So you literally quit after two weeks because of the fact that you were like, I'm not ready for what you're trying to give me to do. Absolutely. And I want to stay in 1998 with you because I'm feeling nostalgic here. And, and and take me back to the good old days of, we'll call it branch banking before digital, before even really mobile was a thing. I mean, if you think about like online banking was just starting to come online and that was only at some of the big nationals, yet alone the regionals or even the, the community banks. What was life like for you back then as an assistant branch manager? So in 98, 
I was going to school full-time and, and working part-time. And so to your point, I worked at a, a community bank, First National Bank of Joliet, actually. 40, 41 branches, 43 branches. And there was no technology. Everything was still was still paper and manual. There was no no online, none of that. I think, I feel like we were really starting to ramp up our ATMs. You yep. know, it's like yep. we have more ATMs right now in the area. And so I actually worked at a, at a kind of a busy branch and then I shifted to in-store life. I actually started working at an in-store branch probably a year or so later, maybe a year and a half. But that is what really catapulted things because in an in-store, you don't have one lane, you have all of the lanes. And so that is really what helped to shape kind of the next progression for me because you have to learn all the things. There's no, oh, that's not my job. It's all all of our job, right? Yeah, so you've been in banking before digital, pre-digital, and and I got into this, it was 2002, three time period, and so it was right at the cusp that digital was coming online. And and I wanna, with, with your horizon line and your perspective, what have been some of the biggest transformations that you have personally seen, that you've experienced over the last 20 plus years just on your journey, you know, starting pre-digital and then seeing this transformation happen literally before your eyes and even even being a part of it to a degree, particularly through the lens of marketing and sales, what, what does that look like for you? I think, and that may, this may not sound the way that it should, but I don't feel like we have, have moved as fast as we could have, right? And thinking that's just the way that it is. So when we think about the, the major shifts, the biggest one has probably been online banking and then the shift to mobile, but that's been the biggest thing, right? Yeah. And so now as we transition, especially post-COVID, it's the, how do we ramp up where we, where we should have been? Because there's so many things when you think about Amazon and some of these other um, companies that do personalization really well, I feel like we as banks have, I don't want to say rested on our laurels, but we've kind of just sat back and we just knew it's like, we, we got this. And then you've got fintechs and like different companies like China and things that are, that are moving and we're now running to try to catch up. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. and so that I, I don't, when we talk about advancements, I don't know that there's been huge leaps and bounds in banking. Yeah. And it's interesting because you bring in like the fintechs and some of the other players, Amazon and Apple that have the potential to really do some massive transformation at scale and at speed. When you look, look at the industry as a whole, where do you feel the the lag is rooted in? Like, like what's why? Why why have we not progressed, say, comparative to these other verticals? I think there are a couple other verticals that have lagged too. education higher ed being one of them. I think higher ed and banking have a lot of parallels that I see specifically post COVID looking back, but, but what is the perspective for you into the why? I, I feel like it's, it's, it's the, the roots that we have in, in the historical space. Don't mess with it if it's not broken. Mm. And we never saw it as broken. Why would we see it as broken? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you can't see um, the forest for the trees. I don't know if I say that right. I always say that incorrectly, but you can't see that big picture because you're in it and it's like, it's working, it's fine. And then when something comes along, like for instance, the Apple card. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my, like, I'm like, this thing is amazing. Yes. And everything's built right in. It's simplistic. And I feel like oftentimes banking is not simplistic. We want to put hoops and like, oh, did you jump through these five? Oh, awesome. Now jump through these next seven. And then we can start your application process. 
It's like, wait, what? I'm not even there yet. I'm still not there. And so it's those types of things. I feel like we need to let go of what we used to do and who we were. And this is how it's always been. You know, when you you, you bring up the Apple card, I, I think it's interesting to note that who's behind that? We always forget because Apple card gets the... It's the front end, but who's backing it is it's Goldman Sachs. I mean, it that's a, that you know, it's a, a bank founded in 1869, a lot of history. And then you think about what Goldman has done with their spinoff with with Marcus, Marcus mm-hmm. by Goldman Sachs. I I think it's very it's a great learning lesson of of how you can take history and legacy, and you don't forsake it. You you build on that foundation to to go even bigger to to impact even more lives and one of my big philosophies is i believe that on on all the journeys that we're taking it's a journey of never ending learning sometimes you're the student other times you're the teacher either way there's always uh, an experience to learn something new and and thinking about your own journey of growth here over the last 20 plus years what's been the most important skill for you that you've developed along the way that has really probably been the most the most valuable i would say it's probably being open to and the people don't like to say the word but change transformation growth i am a person that i feel like if you're not growing you're dying mm. you have to be moving forward you have to be pushing put learning growing developing yourself people around you it's it's something that i've always it's like if i learn something i'm like hey everybody look at this look at this look at this cool thing you know, you have to be doing that. And I think that is when people get caught in the cave of complacency, right? Where right. they don't, they feel like they're good. They don't need to develop or grow or, or even want to. That's where you start to see some of the, the trips and the, the pitfalls that we find ourselves in. Right. And and I think to that point, it's a good transition in, in, in just the narrative here, because you've always been one that you're looking, you're looking for opportunity and you're wanting to bring what you're finding out on the horizon bringing it almost like a scout you're, you're going out you're exploring i gotta go back to the to the 90s and maybe even the 80s oregon trail did you play oregon trail of course we talked about this remember it's on yes, apple that's, it's on apple now it's that's exactly there. right yes yes and so you're scouting and then you're bringing that back in and it's funny how time works because you sent me a direct message almost one year ago today. It was actually, really? yes, it was September 16th. So today, what is, what's the day of today recording? Today is the 14th. Yesterday was the 13th of September, and we had Hurricane Nicholas come into Houston. So I'm just grateful to be even doing this podcast to begin with, because we don't have power at home. We have power here at the office. Seven years ago, was it seven? No, 13 years ago, we had Ike come in. And then on the 15th, 16th of September of 2020, you wrote me, our senior leadership team is really enjoying your book and seeking ways to let go of the four fears. Hopefully we can connect, as I'm sure you offer insightful posts relevant to our journey. And so looking back now, flashing forward, just 12-month horizon line, looking back over the last 12 months, and really thinking about the four fears, and and when you reached out, and I know a lot of financial brands, they struggle. They struggle with these four fears, particularly within marketing, within sales, within leadership teams. What were some of the conversations as a scout going out that you were having at the time about digital growth, perhaps with others, maybe conversations that you're even having with yourself, considering your your banking journey has been rooted in the physical world of, of branches for the most part. So right, 
before that we had had our our summer interns had done a presentation and we had given them your book to use as a foundation for how we could possibly advance in our digital space and how we could be better in that. And so at that point, I believe our regional managers across our retail division were reading the book. And I was like, I need, we need more. We, I, this isn't going to be enough, you know, just to read it. And then we know what happens when you read, you read it, you get a couple nuggets and then you put it away. Yep. And so I was like, I need, we need something. And so I was like, he might not like they, people do when you write books, you, you have other, other ideas in mind. And so we were really looking at that because I mean, you know what was happening this time last year. We were we were still unsure of all the things, right? There were so many things that were unknown to us. And it was like, if we can get a jump start on some of this stuff that we may have fallen behind in technology-wise, even just client experience, which is where my, my team and I focus is, how do, we, how do we make things better for them in this time, in this space, in the future? How yes. do we do that? And you make a really interesting observation, and it's one that I see, and I'm very empathetic to the fact, I'm just as guilty. You read a book, you get those few nuggets, you put it away, but it doesn't really move the needle. It doesn't become the new thinking. It doesn't inform new actions, habits, behaviors. And so when you think about experience in your area of focus, training has been a big part of that. Thinking about the training that you've done, what has been transformative for you and really just the training as, as a whole, you're going through the university, you've been a part of the book club as well and have had some really good conversations. What have been some of the biggest insights that you've gained now over the last 12 months? Not just those nuggets, but really, because you read the book, going through the university, you're meeting once a month as a larger group, which we'll come back to that point training has always been a key to you mm-hmm. and just the work that you do, but what, what have been some of the big lessons that you've learned and are starting to make a reality, not just a nugget, but it's, it's, it's transformative. So I think it's one, it's not, it's not a, a one and done, you know, even with our classes, we, we have people attend, maybe we have a servant sales class where we talk about our servant heart and how that should be leading the, what, what we're selling and how we're selling but that class ends and then what? And so the what I really enjoy about this journey that we've been on with you and Audrey and Bianca is that we get the opportunity to keep bringing the things to the forefront because whether it's a book, an article, whatever that is, it's great in that moment and everyone's fired up, but then what happens? What happens when the lights go out and the morning comes and we're like, okay, we're back to the same thing that we've done every day and we, and we do what we do, right? Especially when you're getting bogged by down by other things that thinking time, that thought processing time, you don't get it. And so unless you make the concerted effort to do that, and then everyone has to be doing it, because if I'm the only one, which oftentimes it feels like that, right? You're yeah. the only one that's that's putting the work in. You're the only one that's really trying to make things work. But then you realize that it, there's others. And when you come together as a collective group that are all trying to do that, then that's when things happen. And that's when the needle actually moves. Yes, and 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 I kind of joke about it, but I, I hear you. It's almost like the church camp experience. You go, you get fired up, and then you come back, and the the real world just smacks you in the face, and you you just okay. Well, that was great, and now onward and upward, and we just back to the grind. When you think about the group that you've been involved in, it's it's a it's a wide array of personalities. 
mm-hmm. of roles. Like you said, you're coming in on the experience side of things. You got marketing, sales, operations, compliance, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, CEO, I mean, fourth generation family banker, just a, a, a great heart in and of himself. And then you've got your senior partners. How has it been to to work with, I would say, a much wider view Instead, because sometimes, you know, well, it'll just be a marketing team. Sometimes it'll be marketing and maybe sales. But you, you're, you're, you're taking the approach that I always recommend is we bring a lot more minds to the table because what happens if it's just marketing or if it's just marketing and sales, then everyone else is, they're all going in a direction. Everyone else is still kind of stuck in the past. So. Yeah. What has it been like to work with a much larger group here? Two words come to mind, refreshing and necessary, mm. right? Because Refreshing because everyone is thinking the same now. We have a similar language. We can reference, oh, remember in lesson eight, remember in lesson seven, these are, this is why we're doing what we're doing because we don't want to still be here. We don't, and we, and we, you can throw Kodak, like you can start to say things and people are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to be put like, like, it's like you can start to speak that common, in common language. And necessary because to your point, if it was just marketing and then like us, the retail sales and experience and some of those other areas, then we're still just alone embarking on a journey. We need everyone. We need the whole community working and moving in the same direction. Otherwise, we're still looking back and there's still people hanging out in the cave. And it's like, you got to come with us. Everyone's going to come. Technology has transformed our world, and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now, consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to, because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now back to the show. You hit on something that's really important. You mentioned we got to have the whole community. A lot of times I think we think about community, particularly as a community financial brand, we think about the communities that we serve, but now community is also going digital. So, but then there's also the internal community. And if you look at the word community, what is it made up of? It's communication, but then it's also unity. So Mm -hmm. you're truly unifying around communication or a common language, be that C-O-M-M, I mean, community, common, communication. It all has that same Mm -hmm. type of a root right there. So you're all unifying around a common language, a common purpose. And I think one of the areas that I'm most excited about for financial brands, even fintech, is the opportunity, and it's it's almost taking this full circle back into just your own personal purpose, to transform people's lives, to guide them beyond their biggest questions, their biggest concerns, towards a bigger, better, brighter future. And and that opportunity is to put the transformation of, of people over the commoditized transaction of dollars and cents. And my prediction here is, and, and this is why I think what you're doing on the experience side is so critically important, is is coaching. Mm-hmm. 
Money is confusing. Money is stressful. Money is complex. And coaching is, there's a tremendous opportunity to bridge the digital human divide because coaching is an empathetic exercise Mm -hmm. that can be further elevated through the use of data. And so when you think about financial coaching and, and, and really elevating sales and service through the lens of experience to a whole new level, in your mind, what are the opportunities here? I've always, when I was in the branch, I was of the mind that every client that I interacted with, my goal was to make sure that they were better from having interacted with me, whether financially, spiritually, emotionally, sometimes because as anybody who's in banking knows, we end up being our clients, counselors, and all of the things. And so it's the the coaching aspect speaks to my soul when you when you speak of that because there's so many people who don't know what they don't know yes but they come into banking expecting that and we give them a product that they don't know anything about they don't know how to manage it and then we we slap their hand when they don't do it right Um, and that's just banking as a whole right and so where is that space where we can actually coach develop help with a budget help with a plan and not just a financial plan but a life plan how do we get you from where you are to where you want to be? And I think that is the, that's the essence. That's the key because as the coach, as the helpful guide, you don't necessarily have to have the, you should, probably shouldn't have the answers. The answers must come from within. Your job is to help pull out and encourage them to articulate. I'm so excited. We are actually going to have someone come on the podcast in the coming months. We're getting working to get her schedule. She works in the mortgage space. She she is going to share her story because she she's in the book club and I think we had this conversation in the book club. So she agreed to come on because I'm like I want to dive deeper. You yeah. work in banking, you work in mortgages and you actually have a financial coach. Let's talk about that and how that alone has transformed the work you're doing in the world of mortgages. And she's like, yeah, I'm able to pass everything that I'm learning through my financial coach to my clients. So it's almost like if we can bring financial coaching internally to begin with, to in, to empower and to really increase the confidence of our team members, then we can then take that externally and do that for our account holders, for their friends, their families, the communities that we serve. The, the probably the greatest example that I've seen of this is is truest when they were SunTrust and launching the on up program. They started this approach internally first and then also launched it in conjunction going public with just their public positioning in the marketplace. And and so I know I know one of the big things that we hear, you touched on this before, it's these fears, fear of the unknown, fear of change, fear of failure, maybe even fear of success, especially for those that have taken a journey like you through the world of physical branches, they fear that they're going to be replaced with AI, with robots. What's a recommendation for you, from you, to help others who fear that this idea that, yeah, you're going to be replaced? I don't think that's the case, but I'm curious to get your take on that. I completely agree. I don't think it's the case. I I would challenge anyone who who has that concern to think about their day. And let's just assume that you work an eight hour day in the branch. There's so many things that you want to do. So many people you want to reach out to that you're like, Oh, I want to see how things are going with them. You don't have the time to do that because all of the other things, the things that could be pushed over to automation are taking up that, that time, that space. And so if you think about, even if you could get rid of two hours a day 
of the things that you're manually doing that that you could just say have like your automated assistant do for you then that you've got two hours now but you can get back and you can give to coaching you can give to reaching out to clients and saying hey you know what i know that your husband was the one that handled all the finances how are how are things been since since all you know since he's passed and do you still need help do you want me to to go through the budgeting with you again like those are the things we want to do that never happen that we're like oh that would have been nice if we reached out to little margaret we didn't and so what i'm hearing from you it really is that mindset transformation of transforming from loss thinking that we're going to lose because we identify our self-identity is tied up into the work that we quote unquote do. But if we can let that part go and really focus on not on what we're losing, but more importantly on what we're gaining, number one, but number two, by what we're gaining, which is time, we can give even more, we can coach even more, we can guide even more. And to me, it's that's where we're, I think we're going to see a, a, a rise in human connection because of some of the capabilities that we're going to gain. And is it going to be easy? No. Change is hard. Change is painful. Change is scary. And you touched on this before. You you naturally lean into some of this. How do you, as, as a leader, just personally deal with change? Because we've all had to change and grow and transform a lot through the COVID experience. But how have you managed that yourself personally? I think a lot of it is really understanding the big picture. We know that there's safety in the mundane. Yes. Knowing, I know what I have to do. I know what my day looks like because it's the same day I've had for 20 years. Now, mind you, I can't live like that. I literally change jobs like every three years. I'm like, I, I got to be moving forward, doing something new and something challenging. But for those people who, who like that, that kind of safety net, it's saying, okay, but I, I don't have to do all the things. Let me start with one thing. And that's how I even tell my team, I'm like, we don't, yeah, these are the seven things that I really want us to accomplish this year, but let's start with one and let's even do the easiest thing. So right. let's take, for example, onboarding. We have a, a thing that we go, it's called, we call the zip code because it's two to two, six, one, right? So we have a two day call, two week call, two months, six month, one year card. There's probably branches that don't always have time to do that. So, oops, I missed that two week follow up with the client. Imagine if you could no longer have to worry about that two week push it through to automation. Now you you see the not yes. I'm hundred percent connect with you. Like you're energizing me because that's where and and that handwritten note. Yes. I know it's gonna creep people out. I know that, <laughs> that handwritten note can be written with automation, with AI, with a real pen that indents the card so that it looks like it's coming from a real person. There's some ethical questions around that. I get it, but if it allows me to connect more and have more deeper, better conversations. Yes. Here's another idea, you know, with your branch managers, right? Playing the game of tag. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but you make a connection. Maybe it's just email. Maybe it's LinkedIn. You thank them. You just thank them for being an account holder. You then ask them, what's the question that you have? And then you give them some guidance. You give them some coaching, 60 second loom video, and you, once again, but this is all cultural, like you got to build these new habits together as, as an organization, as a team. And, and Tiffany, this has been a fantastic conversation, a fantastic discussion. I, I've got two more thoughts, two more questions for you as we wrap up here. Number one, what are you most excited about, most hopeful for when you look ahead over the next 12, 18, 24 months 
just at banking at a macro lens, particularly through the work that you're doing on the experience side? I am most excited about shifting the, the, the ordinary, the mundane to automation so that we can focus on creating extraordinary experiences for our clients. And that's the education. That's, that's sometimes just the touch points. I, I don't, I don't need anything. I just wanted to see how everything was going for you, yes. but we can't do that if we're doing all of the, the standard things, even for us, there's a, there's, there needs to be a shift operationally. The branches have a lot of burden operationally. And how do we shift that back to the behind the scenes so that the branches can really focus on client experience. Those are some of the things that I'm really excited about kind of embracing and, and, and knocking doors down and seeing like what that looks like for us in the next 12 to 18 months. I always want to get real practical here at the very end for the dear listener, reflecting on your experience. What is one thing that you would recommend they do to continue to move forward along their own digital growth journey with courage, with confidence, something small, a step that they could take very practical. What would be that one step that you would recommend they move forward with? We're speaking of the digital journey. Yeah. Just, just the digital journey. Where can they continue to level up that you see at a macro level here? And, this, and, and D- James Robert did not pay me to say this, but if you have not read the book, <laughs> legitimately, that tra- that's what started it. When you went back, that's what started it. It was reading that book and saying like, wow, there are so many things in here. And, and we don't, even if you just took a, a piece of it and, you know, it transforms. And so that, but also just being open to, the possibilities, not not shutting down every idea because it doesn't line up with exactly what you have a vision for, but really think for, about the full client experience and where we're going as a as as a society. We're yes. moving into that space where we have to be all things for all people in the sense of I can help you with that, and if I don't know the answer, I have two resources that I can get you there. You Abs- know, and so it's that it's that type of thing. Absolutely, and I think that's the idea that we we we're viewing ourselves more than just bankers, but we have really, in all of the industries and all of the verticals, who has the opportunity to truly transform someone's financial well-being, which will then impact and make a positive transformation on their physical well-being because that connection between financial health and and physical health, and then also the, the mental aspect of this as well. I'm right there with you, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm proud of y'all, I'm proud of you, all of the progress that y'all have made, both yourself as an individual, then looking at the larger team in the organization. And that's the most important thing of this all. It's it, Progress is greater than perfection. To, 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 to reference James Clear with Atomic Habits, just get 1% better every single day and you will continue to move forward. And, and, and for those that are looking to move forward and they've listened to our conversation, they want to continue the conversation with you, they just want to connect, say hello, what's the best way for them to reach out and do that, Tiffany? LinkedIn, for sure. Um, LinkedIn. They can find me at Tiffany Davis on LinkedIn. Connect with Tiffany. Learn from Tiffany. Collaborate with Tiffany. We're moving into just an exciting time. I'm excited about the future. And Tiffany, once again, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been fantastic. Thank you, thank As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.